Ourselves Black is a place where we own the narrative and are unapologetic about our goal to share imagery, information, and stories infused with knowledge that promotes black mental health. This is the Ourselves Black podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Y. Vincent. On today's edition of the Ourselves Black podcast, part one of a two-part discussion about interfacing with the mental health system with guest expert, Dr. Philip Murray. Dr. Philip Murray is from Decatur, Georgia, and completed undergraduate studies at Howard University in Washington, D.C. He received his medical degree from the Medical College of Georgia and completed his adult psychiatry residency at Harvard Medical School, Cambridge Health Alliance, in 2014. He completed a child and adolescent psychiatry fellowship at the New York Presbyterian Hospital Program of Columbia and Cornell Universities. Dr. Murray most recently obtained his master's in public health with a focus in health management from the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health through the Commonwealth Fund Fellowship in Minority Health Policy. Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Ourselves Black Podcast. We have as our guest expert, Dr. Phil Murray. Dr. Murray, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Vincent. And so this is actually going to be a two-part conversation with Dr. Murray about um, working and interfacing with the mental health system, which unfortunately can be a very challenging system, uh, even for those of us who are more familiar with it. Um, and Dr. Murray, as you heard in the introduction, is a, is a clinician as well, but also has broad experiences and, and interests. Um, so, Doc, to get us started, I would like for you to tell the audience a bit about how you came to develop your interest in the systems side of things. So uh, it's interesting because it started before medical school. Uh, I did an internship focused on health policy in D.C. Uh, I graduated from Howard University, spent a summer uh, in an internship program through the Kaiser Family Foundation that kind of put recent college graduates on Capitol Hill looking at kind of health policy issues. So it was there where I really realized that a lot of the things that interest me about medicine, uh, the concept of helping people, things like that, could be accomplished at a higher level. And a lot of the people that dealt with it really didn't interact with medicine on a daily basis. And so that really kind of gave me a lens and angle to look from when I came to medical school. And so just understanding how much the system influences what we do, and on top of that, specifically in mental health. A lot of interventions that we can do, a lot of medications we can order, services we can provide are all kind of determined at this higher level. And so I could either be a cog in the machine and let things happen, or I could do my best to be the appropriate patient advocate and kind of go higher stream and understand the system and figure out ways to influence it. Now, I haven't quite reached a uh, place where I'm doing too much influencing, but I'm at least mindful and hoping that at some point down the line, I can do a little bit more of that. Okay. So you started off with this Capitol Hill eye-level view. Mm-hmm. And now you're working on the ground floor, so to speak. Absolutely. And so how is that different in terms of how you, you think about these things? Uh, I think it just kind of provides context. And I think it also makes me a little bit more, I guess you could say, sober-minded when it comes to interventions that I would like to get patients, uh, speaking to patients about the system and also speaking to colleagues about the system. Uh, Also, it's interesting kind of practicing in different states just because each state has its own way of approaching mental health and coming up with interventions. And 
while each state kind of has its own way of doing things, at the end of the day on the ground, it, you're still trying to get just good services to people. And so it, uh, like I said, kind of informs what you're telling families and the best way to kind of help them navigate here and there. Okay. So with this lens that has the bird's eye view and the ground level view, um, as someone who, you know, as a child psychiatrist, you train in adult psychiatry as well. Um, what do you see as some of the unique challenges uh, when it comes to the children's mental health system? Well, one challenge that's not necessarily unique, but you definitely feel it more for kids is funding. Um, I think a lot of times when we discuss things that are politically attractive and things like that, I think from the outside, people think, you know, kids, you want to make sure they get services that they need. But when it comes to kids, a lot of times they're not really at the priority. After training in adult mental health and child mental health, you see a lot of the interventions, innovations and things are pioneered on the adult side and people assume it'll just translate to the child side, but that's not always the case. Uh, another challenge facing child mental health is there's a significant lack of providers and the idea that kids are just little adults does not carry over. And so there are a lot of adult trained providers that are not comfortable treating kids. And so you don't even have an overflow for what can kind of go on. So there's a lack of access to services. And overall, with children, you have so many different entities interacting around them. You have things like school, you have their primary care providers, you have parents, and sometimes extended family, adoption agencies, state agencies. And so coordinating all of those things to eventually get care to a child, uh, it can be a lot to do. And so it sounds as if, and I have these conversations with pediatricians and my families all the time, where they almost feel as if it's so hard that they must be missing something. And the reality is, no, it's just, it's a hard system to navigate. Oh, God, yes, it is. And even, it is really mind-boggling. And so I feel helpless as a provider when I try and explain to families that I'm just as frustrated as they are about the system. And I think a lot of times the misconception is that because we are providers, we somehow have a leg up on the system or can navigate it so much easier. And yes, granted, we have some insider experience, but it really is something that is frustrating for everybody involved. And it's not something that we can change overnight. And it really does take advocacy just from different angles. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we know we're... <laughs> this is this is a, a big problem with a capital P, um, so we're not going to solve it today, but we do want to give people an idea of some of the language and some of, you know, what we call levels of care or the different intensities of treatment that people can encounter because it's already difficult and then it can be hard when you don't really understand um, the lingo and the different ways that that service can look. And so... Uh, you know, Dr. Murray works in, uh, you know, different settings and, and does some ER work. But, Dr. Murray, could you help uh, families with kind of thinking through or understanding the different forms that mental health treatment can take? So mental health treatment, so much of it occurs outside of the hospital. And going back to your point earlier about different levels of care and things like that, I do think a lot of times for families, 
things could be a bit more smooth if the level of care that they choose to enter the system um, also matches the need. And I use the word choose loosely because with kids specifically, there are different organizations that can kind of make referrals. You see people coming in from school, from their pediatricians, and from their family members. So it's not a situation where it's just the family deciding that the kid needs to come in. Other people can kind of come up with this as well. Uh, so the biggest thing, just like in most branches of medicine, are kind of outpatient or inpatient. Inpatient treatment, that's where you spend time in the hospital, and a lot of times that starts in the emergency department. The thing about emergency assessment is different people come in for different reasons, and while it is the quickest way to get into the system, it's not always the best way to start things out, depending on the severity of the case. I've had people come in to wait for hours for an evaluation, only to leave with a list of referral sites, because since it's not a technical emergency or it doesn't meet the level of severity to come into the hospital, they'll still have to deal with the outpatient world. Now, when I say outpatient world, I mean you go in, you have your appointment, and you basically go home. And a lot of times I think people are worried that we're going to automatically either take their kids away or throw them on medications, but especially when it comes to kids, I think most prescribers take it very seriously when we prescribe a medication. And so a lot of times we want to try non-medication interventions, and that'll be your different types of therapy, working within the school system, and working within the family system to adjust things so that way the kid has a better way to cope or accommodate whatever is going on. And I think a lot of times people are really surprised by that. And sometimes people are kind of put off by that because that's something that can take a very long time to put into place. And a lot of times people feel like when you go to medications, it should fix things quickly. But a lot of times medications are just one piece of the puzzle when it comes to that. And so I know I spoke about inpatient and outpatient and then kind of in between or more intense programs such as partial hospitalization programs or intensive outpatient programs where the child can go in and spend some time during the day kind of learning different techniques, being assessed, but still spend the time at home. And so that's a very broad overview. It literally goes on a case-by-case -case basis. And sometimes people can start off in outpatient care. Things can get more severe. They need to go into the hospital, have more intense care, and then kind of build it down. I think I want to emphasize to any families listening that it is very rare, if ever, that when you have one assessment, one intervention, or things like that, things will always stay that way. These are kind of dynamic issues that we're chasing, and so we try to be flexible and come up with the right tool for the right issue. And that's a really helpful helpful overview. And I think that medication piece is really important because, you know, if you have a sinus infection and you go to the ER because things are bad, you might go home with some antibiotics. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas I think some families are afraid you'll throw them on medicines, but some families are disappointed that they don't get anything after sitting in the ER for who knows how many hours. Um, but, you know, the nature of psychiatry and mental health is that you really can't just give a prescription and send people on their way. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's it most, if not all cases. Um, and it really does take a little bit of time. And the other side of that is if we do start a medication, it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody needs to be on it forever. And that especially is the case for children because a lot of times there are difficult or vulnerable places of development where 
with the right adjustment or things like that, a kid can get back to their normal development and not require that. But it requires consistency, treatment, constantly check in so we can figure out what's the best thing to do and really knowing when to stop with an intervention. And I think a lot of times it can be easy to just carry things forward, but it's really worth it to go that extra step and say, well, do we need to keep doing this? Because that's really what the goal of treatment ultimately is for somebody to return back to a normal state of functioning if possible. Yeah. And so, you know, there's definitely going to be variability depending on what state you're in, what city you're in, what insurance you have, which type of that specific insurance you have. Um, And so I know you can't give specific information, but are there any resources um, or methods that you recommend to people who are trying to get more information about understanding the system for them? So I did that big sigh because even with that information, it's still (laughs) difficult to get through. But I think uh, it's best to start with people who are more familiar with the system. A lot of times you can get information from a primary care provider's office. They can have a little bit more information, but to be transparent, a lot of times the mental health system is kind of a mystery to them as well. Uh, You can also check with your particular insurance company, call in, see what places are covered as far as benefits and who accepts your insurance and anything like that. Now, the caveat there is a lot of times organizations can change what insurance they go with, and so that's something to think about. Uh, State offices also, I'm sorry, state offices of mental health also have information on resources, and that's somewhere you can go. And then once you're kind of into the system and things like that, I would also highly recommend checking in with NAMI, uh, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. They're a consumer group, meaning that it's not full of professionals, prescribers, or clinicians, but it's a combination of some of those people and also family members and people with a history of psychiatric issues who have navigated the system, and they usually have local branches of people who can inform you as well. I think those are some of the broader places to go to. Um, A number of other things just kind of vary by your local resources, and unfortunately, you're going to have to put in the legwork to kind of find those. Yeah, and those are all really good places to start. And um, just one thing that I would add, too, particularly if you have private insurance, this may end up being more helpful, but calling your insurance company mm-hmm. and seeing who they have contracts with and who's taking new patients can really kind of cut down on that process of trying to call and see who, who takes your insurance and kind of going through um, circles. A lot of times they can kind of direct you directly to who you know, they're willing to pay for. Yep, absolutely. So, Dr. Murray, if people are interested in hearing more from you about this topic or getting in contact with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, the best way would probably be through my Twitter account. Uh, it's at Phil Murray, M-D, uh, Phil, P-H-I-L, Murray, M-U-R-R-A-Y, uh, M-D. Uh, I don't tweet that often, but I'm always checking it. So if you need to uh, reach me, you can kind of catch me there. Cool. Um, And we will have uh, Dr. Murray back for part two, where we'll talk more about this really relevant um, topic.